we will provide this this evening's recording for you at no problem inshallah shukran once again uh, we over to mona maath with our sixth session of the muslim homes course welcome back shukran Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-mursaleen. Sayyidina wa nabiyyina wa maulana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Today we are discussing having meetings and gatherings at home and how that impacts the household. As long as other, uh, as well as other additions as to improvements in the home with regards to spirituality and also developing the family uh, so that they can progress forward uh, in connecting with Allah and improving uh, themselves as Muslimin and as, as human beings. So first and foremost, uh, the creation of opportunities for meetings to discuss family members, uh, sorry, family matters. So instead of having a house, where only one person is making decisions, whether that be the father or the mother, you understand, uh, it's best to have a house that is based upon consultation. The term in Arabic for this is shura or mashwara. Shura or mashwara. And Allah tells us clearly in the Quran, amruhum shura bainahum. The way of the true believers is that they take each other's view. They consult one another. So obviously the husband and the wife, the father and the mother, they must consult one another. But in a like manner, you must take the view of your children as well. You understand? Even young children. Just have a year. What are their feelings about this and what are their feelings about that? Especially when it comes to things that concern them. Especially when it comes to things that will impact them. The mother and father, they do not necessarily need to do what the children are perhaps uh, recommending. Because the taking of a person's counsel, the taking of a person's view, is not the taking of a command that you must obey. But at least if people can air their views and they can provide the justifications, you might be surprised. It might be something that convinces you. It might be something that makes sense to you. you understand? Uh, they might be looking at things from a vantage point that you had not considered and they might expose something to you that has bypassed you. So it's a good thing for family members to sit together and to discuss things, especially things that concern them. So the verse that I quoted to Amrum Shura Bainahum, their way, the way of the true believers, is that they conduct their affairs by mutual consultation. They take the views of one another. In fact, the entire surah chapter is named after this, Ashura, the consultation, verse number 38. So there must be some time or the other where family members can sit together in a suitable place in the house, maybe the living room and the like, and then they can talk about issues within the house and also issues outside of the family that in some way or the other uh, affect the family. Uh, before I continue, I just want to say that uh, the room that I'm using, it faces uh, the public road. So there might be a little bit of sound in the background. Uh, please do give me ma for that. 
Uh, unfortunately, that is uh, unavoidable. This is uh, the most suitable room. Uh, but uh, occasionally there'll be a little bit of a noise in the background. Please forgive us. Today. Either way, when people sit down and they discuss matters, then it is a sign that there are strong ties in the family because people are concerned about one another and they want to hear what their views are. It also means that the, 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 the home is based upon good interaction where people do not fear to hear what others think. You understand? And they are able to take these things in consideration. It also indicates that there's a, there's a cooperation uh, in the house. Good people, like Allah, for example, in the Quran, he praises Nabi Yahya, uh, who the Christians know as, uh, know as John the Baptist. And Allah says that he, that he isn't a Jabbar, he isn't a tyrant, and he is a person that is open to the views of others. It's a good quality of a husband, a father, uh, a mother, a wife, uh, an elder son or an elder daughter, an elder brother, an elder sister. It's a good quality to have that you are open to the views of others and uh, you listen to their views. And if it makes sense to you, people are able to produce justifications that make sense, then you should act in accordance with what they have to say. It doesn't matter that you are the older one and they are the younger one. It doesn't matter gender also. Whether you are a female and you, you should listen to a male, or you're a male and you should listen to a female, you understand? Uh, these things do not impact uh, the rationale. It does not impact the justification. You understand? The justification must be ju uh, judged based upon its merit, not based upon the age of the speaker, not based upon the gender uh, of the speaker, and uh, Allah knows best. So no doubt... The husband, the father, is the one that Allah has appointed to be the primary amir, the primary leader in the household. Uh, this is a thing that we cannot as Muslim in doubt. Allah says clearly in the Quran, That men are the caretakers and maintainers of women, in that Allah has given the one more than Allah has given the other. Uh, meaning uh, the need to, to, to be a leader and the need, uh, the idea to fulfill the needs of others. And then also, because Allah has duted men to spend upon women nafaka, uh, you understand, spousal maintenance and uh, financial support uh, and the like. And there's lots of other ahadith, uh, one of which I will be quoting further on, which is also one of the top ahadith, but uh, despite that he is the person that is the shepherd, that he has to look after his, his, his flock, despite the, the fact that he's primarily responsible for the goings on in his house, despite the fact that if uh, there cannot be common agreement, at the end it is his decision that will be the one that is taken, despite all of that, he should go the way of shura of consultation, to say this in a different way, so it can be understood better. In a Muslim home, it is not ideal that there's one person who makes decisions and others are not listened to. In a Muslim household, it is ideal that all parties sit together. Like, for example, if it is just a husband and a wife, that they sit together and they speak about things. And if they can reach common agreement, the Quran calls it taradi. If they can reach common agreement, then that is ideal. MashaAllah. We're able to create a win-win scenario. Everybody's on board. Uh, uh, we've been able to create buy-in. You understand? That is ideal. If for some reason or the other between husband and wife, 
or even other family members, we are not able to attain to common agreement. Then we need to look, is this issue time sensitive or not? Now, do I mean by time sensitive? Does a decision need to be made now or can it be delayed? If the answer is that it can be delayed, then delay it till later until new variables come about, until new information uh, is gained. And then that new information will indicate whether it is more sensible to do what the wife says or whether it is more sensible to do what the husband says. And as I said before, it has nothing to do with gender. You understand it has to do with whose argument makes better sense. So we must cast, uh, we must cast ego aside. You understand? In, in, in Shura, in taking consultation, we must cast ego aside and we must listen to everybody's view and we, 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 we try to figure out uh, whose view makes the best sense. Right? So option A, let's try to get common agreement. Tarabi. If option A is not possible, but the issue is not time sensitive, then delay the matter. You understand? Until more variables come about or until new information is gleaned or gained that will allow us now to determine whose view is their view. We might even, instead of deciding on the husband's view, the wife's view, we might even go for a third view. You understand? As new information comes about. But then we have also the possibility that the issue might be time sensitive. So we haven't been able to reach common agreement, but the issue is time sensitive. So over there, Allah is telling you that since the male is the leader, he must now go ahead and he must make the decision. And when he makes the decision, and it turns out to be right, the credit is his because he made the decision. And the credit is his family's credit also because they decided to listen to him. And when it turns out to be wrong and it is a mistake, then he has to assume responsibility for that. And his family, they are free from any responsibility because they decided to listen to their leader. And Allah places barakah in that. So in my mind, there are three possibilities. So I'm just going to mention it again. So we will discuss the matter. I and you, whether I'm your husband or your wife, we will discuss the matter. And if you are able to reach Taradi common agreement, then that is best and that is ideal. If you are not able to do so, but the issue isn't time sensitive, then we will delay. We will delay and wait for new variables to come about or new information to come about so we can make a decision and hopefully gain common agreement. If the issue is time sensitive, somebody has to make a decision. So that somebody turns out to be the leader. You understand? And whoever the leader is, and Allah has appointed generally the husband uh, to be the leader. And I just want to put it as a side point. If a husband discovers that his wife is better than him at certain things, then he also must not hesitate to make her the leader in those things and take guidance uh, from that. Like, for example... If I could just mention my, my, my beloved uncle, Mullah Ismail Ali, Rahimahullah, he had passed away. He told me many moons ago that when he married his wife, he was a person that had never earned money in his entire life. While his wife was a lady that had worked, you understand, and she had experience, and she had experience working with money. So he decided that whatever wages he ever will earn, he will give it to his wife and she will deal with the money. And mashallah, what a good lady uh, she was and remains that uh, she would look after my uncle's money. This is now the money of the family. And she would spend as she believed to be right. But if my uncle, Mullah Ismail, if he ever asked her 
for money. This is what he told me. Eh? Whenever she, he asked her for money, she would give the money without hesitation. All she would do, however, is she would just inform him what is left. You understand? And how many days of the month is still going. You understand? So if he were to say to her, for example, I need a thousand rand, she would immediately give him the thousand rand. But then she would, for example, inform him, uh, there's just two thousand rand left there, and then there's 10 days of the month. You understand? So that you can know exactly that the decision that is making to take some money, how the decision is impacting the household. You understand? And that she's doing her best. You understand? But she will not, she will not tell him and, and bar him from money, which is money that he has worked for. But at the same time, he must remember that he is a father and he's a husband and there's a responsibility. So just in a very subtle way, you understand, not in a confrontational way, you understand, and also not, not taking ownership uh, of the money, you understand, she would give it whatever uh, was requested, you understand, but then there would just be this gentle reminder. And if husbands and wives can be with each other as this couple, uh, my beloved uncle, Rahimahullah, may Allah shower him with mercy, may Allah widen his cover, may Allah put nur in his cover, may Allah grant him janatul firdaus. He's the first person in my family to have studied Deen also. And so the barakah of every Hafiz in my family, and the barakah of every person who became a Maulana or a Sheikh or anything like that, that barakah, he's the one that began it. And I, I pray that Allah rewards him uh, abundantly for that. Either way to continue. <coughs> So the husband is the leader, according to Islamic law. But this leadership has less to do with being a person that is issuing commands and people must obey, and has more to do with serving people. In fact, this is the law uh, in Arabic. The ulama, they say, Sayyidul qawmi khadimuhum. The leader of a people is the servant of the people. And what is meant by that is, the only reason he was made leader is so that it is easy to serve people. Just imagine you have a baby and you are feeding your baby baby food, right? Uh, so in order to put the food in your baby's mouth, your baby must be compliant. Your baby must listen to you. You understand? When you bring the spoon to the baby's mouth, the baby must open the mouth and allow you to put the food in. And then the baby must swallow the food or do some chewing or whatever is required. You understand? The baby must do that. The baby must listen to you. If the baby listens to you, the baby will be well fed. As a result, the baby will be healthy by the grace of Allah. But if the baby decides not to listen to you, you understand? Then you're going to have a problem. How do you feed the baby? And now the baby will become malnourished. You understand? And the baby might even develop sickness uh, and the like due to weakness. So baby must listen to mommy. Baby must listen to daddy so that baby's needs can be looked after. You understand? Now, husband and a wife, it's not the relationship between a parent and a baby. You understand? But uh, the issue of the husband being able to serve his wife. You understand? And able to fulfill her needs, she must listen to him. And also the children must listen to mommy. And the children must listen to daddy so that the children's needs are fulfilled like that. However, the Quranic nasiha is not just to... Uh, ask people to listen and to ask people to obey, but to create buy-in, consult them, hear what they have to say. You understand? If what they say makes sense, act in accordance. You understand? And have them have that pride 
that my family is moving in that, this direction. I'm the one that, that, that came up with this view. And then when it works out nicely, uh, they have that bit of a pride. You understand? Not in an arrogant sense. You understand? But a pride in goodness. Alhamdulillah, I've done a good thing. I've been able to come up with a good idea that guided my family in a certain direction. And if you're doing this with our children, then they will gain responsibility and they will gain insight earlier in life. So that tomorrow when they get married, they will be able to do so. So that's the thing I've spoken at of at length in other discussions. Back in the day, a young man would be 15 years old and he will have ruled an army and conquered nations. In today's time, we have children that are 21 years old, but they got the minds of nine years old, nine-year-old people. You understand? There's just no sense of responsibility. You understand? They, 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 they're immature also, but they're 21 years old. Uh, amongst the Sahaba, these people that were 21 years old and were already grandparents uh, by the grace of Allah. You understand? So you can imagine the degree of, of maturity uh, that came over there. Either way, uh, even though somebody's the leader, if the father has passed away, the mother is the leader now, for example, they must give others room to contribute. You understand? Especially as our children become older. You understand? These days we have children in our house that are 26 years old. You understand? Some are even 35 years old. They've never, they've never gotten married. You understand? This is an adult. And this person is living in a house, we understand, but they should have a bit of a say. You understand? Not a command, but a bit of a say. You understand? And the view should be heard. It's good training for them to learn to be a responsibility, as well as giving everyone the confidence of knowing that his or her opinion is valued when they are asked to express their points of view. Examples of this would be such as, for example, there's a discussion, uh, are we going for Hajj this year? Uh, how does Sauks, uh, whatever is happening over there, how does that happen? You understand? Uh, Umrah, should we rather go for a Umrah? Like in the Shafi Madhab, Hajj is compulsory once in a lifetime. And Umrah is compulsory one in, once in a lifetime. So technically, if you are sitting, sitting and wondering, when will Sahuk uh, uh, ever uh, allow me to go for Hajj? When will they ever accept my application? You understand? You are sitting on a problem that in the Shafi, Madhab, if you Shafi, Umrah is already compulsory upon you. You understand? So you can argue that Hajj is not compulsory because I have not been accredited. You understand? So that's to be understood. But Umrah is also compulsory in the Shafi Marat. You understand? And if, if it doesn't look as if they're going to accredit you anytime soon for Hajj, then you should be going for Umrah and at least fulfilling uh, that obligation. You understand? So there could be a, a discussion with the family. You understand? Do we go for Umrah now? You understand? Because we don't know when, we, when we're going to get accredited. Or do we wait until we are accredited and then go and perform Hajj and Umrah, like, for example, in a Tamatok form? or perhaps even the Quran form, right? And those are things that are discussed uh, in Hajj classes. Then also the Prophet clearly said that if you perform Umrah in Ramadan, it is the equivalent of a Hajj with me. You understand? So the discussion of performing Umrah during the month of Ramadan. And there might be other trips also, pious trips or halal trips. You understand? We might want to go travel and visit relatives. Like if you have family in a different province, like your parents or your brothers or your sisters? What is the most suitable time to do that? Because maybe you have one child, maybe a son or a daughter at university, you understand, then another one is studying maybe at a, at a fifth school, you understand, you yourself are working or you yourself are teaching. So you want to line things up so that everybody has holiday and everybody is able to go together on the trip and nobody's left behind. You understand, this is best then. 
with mashura. You understand? And also, we can have a discussion maybe about grandma or granddaddy, a ummi. You understand? I'm my paternal uncle, ammati, my paternal auntie, my khal, my maternal uncle, my khala. When do we go and visit them as a family and hold up family ties? You understand? Uphold family ties. Or even just a vacation. What's the most suitable and halal vacation? Even when it comes to weddings also. Right? So what is, we, what is translated here as wedding party is the walima. You understand? The celebration that happens uh, when there's a wedding. Uh, how can we organize it as a family? So that there's minimal expense, but uh, the quality of it is decent for guests in the night. Also, aqiqah, which is the slaughtering uh, of sheep for newborn. What is the best place to do it? What is the best way to do it? When we're moving from one house to another, we consult everybody. And yeah, I just want to uh, share a little bit of a joke. Like uh, I told my children some time back uh, that uh, my main daddy, they're considering moving to another location. And one of the first things one of the younger ones asked is, uh, Abi, is the wife I going with? So he, he doesn't care, he doesn't care. You understand? We're taking the food worth, are we taking the, the books worth, are we taking the furniture worth? He just wants to know is the wife I going with? You understand? Because the new generation is an internet generation. You understand? And uh, uh, it's almost as if they cannot live without the internet. When I tell my children, I come from an age where they, where they, when I was young, there was no TV. There was no internet. There was no cell phones. They cannot imagine it. When I tell them that diapers when I was young, diapers were reused. You didn't throw diapers away. You understand? You had to wash it. They cannot imagine it. It sounds like the age of cavemen to them. But it is less than 50 years ago, and uh, Allah knows best. Also, charitable projects that a family can engage in, such as, uh, for example, finding out about poor people in the neighborhood, so that perhaps the family, as a family, can offer help and send food to them. And this must be discussed by everyone, even your small do daughter, your small son, and you will be surprised. He, will, he or she will go to their room, and they will come back, maybe with a 50 rand. Abba, Abba. Can you give this also to the needy people, Abba? You understand? It's not a 50 rand, even a 5 rand. You understand? But you've started the child on the path of sadaqah. You've started the child on the path of considering the fellow human being and being prepared to, to make a certain monetary sacrifice and invest in the akhirah already as children. There's a hadith with the Prophet says, there are seven people that will be in the shade of Allah's arsh on the day of Qiyamah when there will be no shade. And one of them is Shabun Nashafi Ibadati Rabbihi, of Yita'ati Rabbi, A youth, a young man, a young woman that was raised up in the obedience of Allah. You understand? Since young already, they, 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 they were taught good qualities and in, 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 in pious actions. You understand? That is all they have known from young until adulthood. You understand? You have the opportunity to start them off. And then, inshallah, one day when we are dead, and eventually we all must die, then we will be lying in our covers, and the rewards will be falling into our covers, and we will be amazed. What is all this reward? I didn't do it. But then you will discover it is something that you taught your child. And your child has made it his or her permanent practice. And your child has taught his or her children, taught their grandchildren, taught neighbors, taught friends.
Maybe one of your children, your grandchildren will become a great alim or alima. You understand that this teaching will be passed to them and they will become the teacher of thousands of people. So this teaching will pass to thousands of people and they will act on the nasiha that you had given and they will act on the tarbiyah that you had made. So your share of the reward will be there. You can be amazed. If Qiyamah is far off, this teaching can continue and millions of people can get the teaching. And when everybody is acting upon it, the reward, a share of it uh, comes your way. Also, as families, we must discuss problems that are faced by the families. Problems that are faced by relatives also, and in some way or the other, we can contribute in a positive way. Don't discuss issues that have nothing to do with you. You understand? Your uncle got a problem, it got nothing to do with you. Your auntie got a problem, it got nothing to do with you. Your father or sister got a problem, but it has nothing to do with you. It's their private matters. It is not your matters. You understand? If you discuss it, you will be engaging in riba, in backbiting. But if it is a problem where you can assist it, you understand that other members of the family uh, might have better insight, you understand, or they might be very helpful with, with suggestions, then that is a good thing uh, to discuss, inshallah. But not things that do not concern you. Remember what the Prophet said? Min husni islam mar'i tarku ma la Of the goodness of a person's iman, of a goodness of, of a person's islam and submission to Allah, is that they avoid things that do, that do not concern them. They avoid things that do not concern them. In the book, The Seven Habits of, of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, which is a book that you should read, uh, he mentions in his book that there are two circles. There's the circle of influence and there's the circle of concern. Meaning, there's a circle of things we can change, we can influence. And then there's a circle of concern, the things we worry about. So he says, in his studies, in his research, he's come to the conclusion that people who circle, people whose circle of concern are large, their circle of influence is small. While those whose circles of concern are small, their circles of influence are large. Meaning thereby, the less things you worry about, the more you can achieve. And the more things you worry about, the more things you make your business, you want to chat about it, you understand, but it's not your business, you make it your business, the less things you will actually be able to achieve in life. Because you, you're diluting your energies, you're diluting your concerns. And so you, 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 you're unable to achieve and you just focused on one thing that was an important thing and uh, Allah knows best. So we can talk about how, how to solve all of these solutions. What is the best way uh, forward? Yeah, we have to also point out to you that there's a certain discussion that a father needs to have with his son and a mother needs to have with her daughter. And that is things regarding sexuality and puberty. At some point or the, or the other, a parent must speak to the child. And uh, it will be inappropriate, some of these things, for a mother to tell a son this. You understand? Or for a father to tell his daughter this. You understand? So this is a thing that the genders must discuss. So a father must sit his son down as puberty approaches. And the father must explain to the son what is a wet dream. For example, you understand ihtilam, what tends to be called nocturnal emission. Though it is something that, that can happen during the day as well. It does, it does, it's not necessarily nocturnal. That is why perhaps I, I prefer the translation with dream. So somebody must discuss that uh, with the son and with the daughter. Somebody must discuss with the daughter, menaki, the first onset uh, of menses. What is that? You understand? What does it mean? 
There's nothing to fear. You understand? You're not dying. Then uh, the reason I'm saying this is one of my children once, when he was, was very young, he pricked his one finger and then a bit of blood came out. And then he ran like a crazy person up and down the house. My blood, my blood. You understand? So it was, he had the sense that his life was leaking out of his finger and he was dying. So that was just a few drops of blood that came out of his finger. Eh? You understand? But to have blood come from such a private place in your body, you understand? And uh, it's much more than just a few drops. Uh, your daughter could think that she's dying. You understand? Or she could think some other very bad thing. So you need to be sitting with her and you need to be having this conversation with her and you need to explain to her that this is normal and that this is natural. It means, it means nothing bad. It means something good. It means that you are a woman now. You understand? It means that Allah has passed to you now the gift that you have the ability to, 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 to make a child. And with this gift comes great responsibility. It is a thing that should only be turned to in the confines of the institution of marriage. You understand? Only with the husband. And a similar type of a discussion must be happening uh, with the boy as well. If we don't do this, they're going to, uh, humans have sexual curiosity. You understand? If we don't do it, they're going to be speaking to children at school that might be the naughty kind. You understand? And those children can introduce them to bad things. Or even they themselves must, might go to the internet and might Google it. You understand? And then they might see things and they might hear things and they might read things that at the very least is un-Islamic. You understand? And could be the most horrible and horrendous things and give them a totally false impression of what life is all about, what marriage is all about, and what physical intimacy uh, is all about. It can create perversion uh, in your child and then there will be problems further on when your child is an adult. It is better for, for daddy to discuss with, 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 with the son. And it is better for mommy to discuss. You understand? And we are not telling you that you must discuss every little detail as, as to what this is all about. You understand? But there must be a bit of an overview. You understand? Of what we are dealing with. And this masail that relate to all of these things. If you have ihtilam, this emission of sexual fluids, then uh, it is necessary that you must take ghusl. You understand? So the child must be told also as, as, as well. You understand? And in this way, we will be fulfilling our responsibilities towards our children. So a bit of a frank discussion, but it is a thing that must be done. So one-on-one, -on -one, just father and son, just mother and daughter, you understand? We'll speak about these things in a very calm way. And uh, we'll mention some of the rulings of Islam also. And uh, Allah knows best. So a good way to start this out or these type of discussions is maybe to say, when I was your age, when I was young and this happened to me or that happened to me, then uh, I responded in this way or that way. Just give me a moment. So we discussed that already. The next masala is the or the issue that I want to discuss is the issue of when husband and wife, mother and father have differences. Is it right to air these differences in the presence uh, of children? Uh, so most of the ulama will tell you that uh, you shouldn't uh, disagree in the presence of your children. Uh, it might teach your children disrespect of the mommy or disrespect of the daddy. It might also create division in the family. 
You understand? With the children's side, perhaps with mommy against daddy. Or the children's side with daddy against mommy. Uh, or the like. Right? Uh, uh, most of what is written over here goes down that line. Uh, my personal opinion, however, based upon uh, experience and research, uh, is slightly different. Right? And be be before I say this, I just want to add uh, as a reminder that I'm, I'm a counselor here in Cape Town for the last 20 years. So there's some things about the, the inside uh, uh, goings on of families that as a counselor, I might be aware of that the average individual uh, might not be aware of. So one of the issues that I've come across, and I use this as a bit of a justification for what I'm about to say. So one of the issues that I've come across is that we would have a spouse, now this could be the husband or the wife, uh, saying to the other, uh, I don't understand why we disagree. My parents never disagreed. You understand? And then they consider the marriage that they are in as defective, right? But notice what is the justification. My parents never disagreed. I never saw my parents arguing about anything. So now I honestly want to ask you, is it true that this person's parents never disagreed? And the answer is, it's not. It's a lie. You understand? These parents probably had disagreements behind closed doors. And there's a benefit to that, and there's a harm to that. And that's why my solution that I'm, that I'm about to mention to you, it must cover both the benefit and the harm. You understand? So what is the benefit if you, if you don't argue in front of children? I've mentioned some benefits already. What is the harm? The harm is, is, is this. That your children might think that in a good relationship, people never disagree. So when they disagree with their own spouses, they might come to the conclusion that they are in a bad relationship and then they, 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 they want out. Although the husband might be a good husband, a good man, you understand? And although the wife might be a good woman, you understand? They will want to exit because of disagreement. So what I've realized is that the, the solution to this is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So what do I mean by that? If you and your spouse are able to disagree in an honorable fashion, you have a functional manner of airing disagreements and resolving marriage, then it is actually a good thing to sometimes disagree in the presence of the children. Obviously, the topic under discussion should be a topic uh, that isn't sensitive. Like, for example, if husband and wife are having a disagreement about bedroom matters, then obviously that is not a thing to be discussed uh, in the presence of children. Or it might be something about the husband's family or something about uh, the wife's family. You understand? And if the children are introduced, it is introducing them to, to things that only adults uh, should be aware of. You understand? So obviously those things you mustn't discuss in front of children. But other issues, other disagreements, right? But the way that you discuss it is a functional, it's in a functional manner, not dysfunctional, like mature adults, you understand? And you're able to resolve the issue without uh, suffering emotional meltdowns. So in that particular case, it is actually beneficial to have disagreements in the presence of children. So children will now realize that disagreements are normal. You understand? Disagreements are normal. Like what I'm telling people in, in counseling is that the problem is not the problem. It's how you handle the problem that's the problem. You understand? 
So whatever the issue is, how you actually attempt to resolve it, that is the area uh, of the problem. And uh, Allah knows best. So if you have a functional manner, then sometimes it will be good to have a bit of a disagreement in the presence of the children so that the children can imbibe your functional manner. They can imbibe your honorable way of disagreeing and then achieving a resolution uh, of your problems. So that tomorrow when they are married and they have disagreements with their spouses, they will know now that it's normally natural to disagree. Mommy and daddy also disagreed. You understand? But mommy and daddy, they, they, they approach their problems as honorable, mature human beings. They didn't turn on one another like attack dogs. Instead of uh, it's us against one another, the approach was it's us against the world. Instead of being uh, soft on the problem, but tough on the people, the approach was that they are tough on the problem, but soft on the people. Instead of entering into deep negativity and suffering a uh, complete emotional meltdown, you understand? They approach their problems in a positive manner, expecting a positive outcome, and uh, Allah knows best. So those things, uh, it's worthwhile. You understand? Your children will be advancing. They will be more mature individuals where you have such disagreements uh, in the presence. You understand? But uh, understand the limitations that I've mentioned. The topic might be a sensitive topic. You understand? And uh, also, if you see that uh, there's going to be emotional meltdown, these, uh, this must not be done. Uh, in the presence of children, you understand? When uh, children might side with the one parent against the other parent also, those are things for adults and they need to sort it out. And the uh, children must re remember, that is my mother, that is my daddy, and this is adult stuff. They mustn't come in between and they shouldn't be uh, involved and uh, Allah knows best. Sometimes people don't do this when the children are, ch are young. They start to do it when the children are elder. Even then I don't advise it. You understand? There's other people that are better suited to bring an end to your disagreement. You understand? Do not, in most cases, involve children. But however, there's always an exception. This is the law in Deen as well. There's no general law, except that there's always some type of an exception. And uh, Allah knows best. Either way, when we live together, when we cohabit and we coexist, there's bound to be some type of an argument uh, or the other, you understand? But uh, we need tools as to how to reconcile. You understand? After we've had the argument, you understand? How do we reconcile with one another? How do we reach suluh? How do we make islah? And then also, uh, we should we should strive to be on a level where you. Do I don't need to be told by my husband. I don't need to be told by my wife. You understand? Uh, I'm already pondering and thinking about my own defects and uh, how to improve it. You understand? We shouldn't be waiting until your wife discovers, until your husband discovers, and they are now upset, and now you want to change. You understand? No. You should want to change because it is the right thing to do. You understand? You should want to change because whatever you're doing that is wrong, it is affecting your relationship uh, with your Allah. So uh, all of these discussions aimed at reconciliation, no problem. But what sets the unity of the family and harms its infrastructure is when conflicts are brought out into the open before the members of the family. And yeah, I'm speaking about in a negative way, in an immature fashion, uh, where we're suffering um, um, emotional meltdown. You understand? And uh, it's divisive. Where people must pick now, who's right? Is mommy right? Is daddy right? And whoever we pick, if we pick mommy, it's against daddy. And if we pick daddy, it's against mommy. 
So this splits the family into two or maybe even more opposing camps. And it is done in front of very young children. And uh, the future is threatened. Daddy is saying to mommy, if you don't listen, I will talak you. You understand? Mommy is saying to daddy, if you don't listen, I'm going to go to MJC and get a fasah. You understand? Then uh, children are worried. What, what is going to happen to, uh, to the future? What's happening to the family? Why is mommy speaking to daddy like that? Why is daddy speaking to mommy like that? Uh, doesn't daddy love us anymore? Why does daddy want to go? Doesn't mommy love us anymore? Why does mommy want to go? You understand? It, 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 is, it is not uh, for young minds uh, to have to worry. Is their family going to be split? Is their family going to fall apart? You understand? And Allah knows best. So we know homes where the father says to the child, do not speak to your mother. You understand? You listen to what I tell you. What I'm telling you is the truth. Your mother is a liar. Don't listen to your mother. Well, the mother says similar to the, uh, to the children. Do not speak to your father. Your father was never there for you. I was always the one that was there for you. So listen to me. I'm telling you what is the truth. If you listen to your father, then you have sided with him. And it is against me. So we, we need to avoid uh, those type of things. You understand? Even if divorce comes, you understand? We need to avoid uh, those type of things. You build your relationship with your children, but not against your ex. Honestly, some of you might not agree with what I have about, I'm, I'm about to say. Honestly, marriages don't need to work. You understand? Marriages, you can afford to have it fail. You understand? It's not the ideal. Definitely not the ideal. We should make the marriages work. But honestly, marriages can afford to fail. But raising children, they cannot afford to fail. So you have an ex. You understand? Your marriage didn't work out. Alhamdulillah, you can go on. You understand? Allah can replace you with better, inshallah. Allah says this himself in the Quran. You understand? Allah will replace you with better, inshallah. But you must understand one thing. You will always be the mother of those children. You understand? You will always be the father of those children. And the same thing with your ex. Your ex will always be the father and your ex will always be the mother. So if you couldn't make things work as a family, you understand? Uh, you couldn't save the marriage. Then you have to make parenthood work. You understand? You have to make parenthood work. You cannot allow that to fail. Because if you allow that to fail, then you mess your children's life up. You understand? But marriage, you understand? Marriage is, is ideal. You marry once and you stay in that marriage. But if it doesn't work out, Sahaba divorced. The Prophet of Allah divorced. You understand? And then they remarried and they married better people by the grace of Allah. You understand? And they went forward uh, in life. But there's no such thing as a better mommy or a better daddy. You, you don't get that. It doesn't exist. There's just mommy and it's just daddy. You understand? But with the husband, we can say better husband. We can say better wife. But we cannot say better daddy and we cannot say better uh, mommy. You understand? Even if we there's a case where a stepfather treats your children better than their own father. You won't be able to say better father. You'll be, all you can say is better stepfather. You understand? And it, it will hurt the children. You understand that a man that isn't really their father has to raise them and look after them. And they're not getting the love that they're getting from their natural biological father. You understand? There's a difference. You understand? The stepfather obviously is in a good man. The stepmother is, 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 is a good woman. You understand? But it is in our nature that we want that from our blood. You understand? People that we have a biological connection uh, with and uh, Allah knows best. 
Either way, introducing all of these things, especially to young minds, just causes confusion and turmoil, and eventually there's hostility uh, in the entire house. If we cannot prevent hostility between husband and wife, at least we must not allow it to fester, you understand, and pass like a cancer onto other uh, members of the family. Then also these minor disagreements that are, that, are, that are best avoided. You understand, I've discovered as a counselor, you understand, for these last two decades, that honestly, anything is a disagreement. People somehow have the magical ability to enter into the most heated disagreements that you can imagine about the, uh, regarding the smallest and most trivial things that you can imagine. Like to just give you an example. Before any major fallout and before divorce also, there's a thing known as a trigger event. Right? So there's been issues between husband and wife, but eventually we have a trigger event and that trigger event now causes the divorce. You understand? It causes the breakup. So now is the interesting thing. So now I'm sitting and speaking to somebody that is a divorcee. Doesn't matter if it's the husband or wife. You understand? So, so I ask them, so can you tell me what's the trigger event that led to divorce? And then the most amazing thing is that most people cannot remember. And then I'm confused because somehow there was an event that was significant enough to end the marriage, but it wasn't significant enough to remember. Do you understand? So why isn't it significant enough to remember? Because honestly, it was insignificant. You understand? And why was it insignificant? Because what I told you previously, the problem is not the problem. It's how you handle the problem that's the problem. So one of my firm favorites that I like to mention in marriage class is that, uh, let's say a husband is asking his wife to make tea. But he's telling her she must put in sugar. And then he tells her, and he's done this repeatedly, eh? Where it has become to such a it has come to such a degree that she's super sensitive now. Uh, mentally, she's raw when it comes to this issue. So he's, he's constantly telling her, "Did you stir? Did you stir?" Because apparently he claims that whenever he drinks his coffee or he drinks his tea, that uh, the sugar isn't stirred. You understand? So he's asking his wife, "Can you please make me tea?" But remember to stir. Hey? So this has happened numerous times before. She's raw. But she has told us, I'm going to make sabr. So when he tells her, please stir. You understand? It's a battle of will now. You understand? It's a battle of will. Then when she's in the kitchen, after five minutes, he shouts, uh, please remember to stay. But he just told her now, when he asked her to make tea, now he's reminding her. As she brings him the tea, he says, did you remember to stir? So it's a willpower game. And there's a point where she's going to snap. You understand? So what I'm telling people is this. Uh, try to avoid this conflict. Whether you're the male or the female. Try to avoid this conflict. Like one of the things that you could do is just leave the teaspoon in the cup. So you can stir his own tea or his own coffee. If you don't want to do that, then just put the sugar separately. So you can put his own sugar in and he can stir for himself. You understand? And if you don't want to do that, then maybe you should make his own tea. Maybe you should make his own coffee. And then if he makes his own tea and his own coffee, then he can guarantee that he's stirred. But this is an issue that should rather be avoided. You understand? We shouldn't be arguing about did you stir or didn't you stir. You understand? A marriage is, 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 is a thing that is much more important than the stirring of your tea or the stirring of your coffee. And it shouldn't be threatened by that. And yeah, all you need to do is to look in your own life, eh? And I'm sure that if you, if you really ponder in it, that you will be able to produce at least one or two arguments that you had with your husband or your wife. 
You understand? And it was honestly a stupid argument. It was about a small issue that doesn't register uh, at all. And uh, Allah knows best. All right. So with regards to this, we ask Allah to create love and understanding uh, between us, inshallah, and uh, for us to try to be better human beings, better spouses, better Muslimin. You understand? Let's avoid that which can be avoided. You understand? And uh, if it's a thing that cannot be avoided, I've already explained what is the method. Firm yet gentle. Firm yet gentle. You understand? Do not bend upon those things that you're not allowed to bend upon. So when it comes to that which is fart, it's fart. We cannot bend. When it comes to that which is haram, as haram, we cannot bend. But there's a gentle way uh, of doing things, inshallah. Another issue is, not only should we sit and discuss things, you understand, but we must also be careful to observe who is discussing what my son and my daughter. You understand? Who, who, who comes into my house? You understand? And speaks to people in this house. And what do they speak to them? So be careful as to who you let into the house. So if there are people who, whose iman and the practice of deen, uh, these things are questionable. You understand? And these people, you must try your utmost best not to allow them uh, into your house. Some people, they enter your house and they're truly your friend. You understand? They're your friend in the dunya and they're your friend in the akhirah. Some people enter your house, they could be somewhat your friend of the dunya, but they're definitely your enemy of the akhirah. You understand? Enemy of the worst possible kind. They are truly your enemy in the dunya and they are your enemy in the akhirah. Just to give an example. The ulama say, Al-jahilu aduwu nafsihi the ignorant person is the enemy of his own self. So how can he be the friend of another? So even if you had a person who liked you, you understand that, 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 that feelings of friendship for you, but that person is, is ignorant. You understand? That person is going to harm you. The ignorance is going to cause them to harm you. It's like somebody gets a seizure or something, and then there's no medical doctor around, but then some person wants to go and play doctor, you understand? Maybe they watch some movies or they watch some series of doctors, so they think they're doctors now. You understand? So now they go ahead and they help this person. But then what happens? They end up killing the person. They end up killing the person. In fact, in Urdu, there was a saying, unfortunately, I don't know Urdu, but in Urdu, there was a saying that some of my teachers used to say, where they, where they used to say, uh, uh, don't be aware of the half a doctor. The worst a half a doctor can do to you is that he can take your life and you're going to die anyway. What you need to worry about is you need to worry about the half alim. You need to worry about the half alim. Right? So how does it work, the half alim? What makes him dangerous? You understand? The half of him that is alim is going to cause him to think that he can save your soul and he can guide you. But the half of him that is a jahil is going to mislead you and is going to destroy your akhirah. It is going to be a case of paradise lost. So whether it is yourself or your husband or wife or your children, you understand? We need to be careful with the friends that we take. We need to be careful with the people that we spend time with. You understand? The people that, that, that we take as companions. So the Prophet Allah tells us, for example, that you mustn't be a companion of a bad person because to be the companion of a bad person is the same like being the companion of a blacksmith who works with bellows and the like. You understand? They agitate fire. Yeah, and uh, so what happens is uh, some of that fire can come onto your clothing and burn your clothing. And if some of the fire don't come on, onto your clothing, uh, then the stench of fire 
will be upon you and uh, Allah knows best. So in Bukhari, for example, there's one version of that hadith. Uh, this is the one printed with Fatwa Bari, the commentary by Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, volume 4, page 323. So the Prophet said, the one who works with the, the bellows will burn your house or your clothes, or you will smell a bad odor from him. Right? Whenever you sit in the presence of fire and you walk away, the stench of fire uh, is upon you. Right? So he will burn your home down, and that he will introduce fasad, corruption, and he will do, introduce sin, uh, evil, uh, into your house. Now, often as the entry of corrupt and suspicious people into a home, being the cause of enmity among the family members or of division between husband and wife. Uh, some people just live miserable lives. So when they look at you and they see the relationship that you enjoy with your wife, the relationship that you enjoy with your husband, it makes them jealous. And then they plot and they plan your downfall. The hadith is filled with this. And the, 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 the kisos, the stories of the ulama, and of the pious people where this has happened, it, it is filled. Like one of the famous cases is the case of what is known as Sahib Juraj. Uh, there's three or four children that spoke in there while they were babies. And one of them was the story of Sahib Juraj, where there was this pious person by the name of Juraj who lived on the outskirts of a city. I don't remember if I mentioned this in this class before, but I'll just give a brief version of it. Uh, he lived on the outside of a city. And then people of the city, they became jealous of him. They had hasat for him. So they planned his downfall. And the lady that was a prostitute in the city, she actually told him that I, I will secure his downfall. So I will go to him and I will tempt him and he will fall. And then you won't have this pro the problem of the saintly person living on the edges of your city. So she went and she tried uh, to seduce uh, Jorage, but she failed. You understand? And uh, he, he wasn't interested. He was truly a very pious uh, ascetic who had renounced the dunya. And uh, then she found out that there was a shepherd that used to sleep in, in his hut. So she slept with the shepherd. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a child. And she told the people of the city that Juraj had done it. So they came to his hut. They burnt it down. And they started beating him. Right? And as he, uh, he was spilling blood, he told them that uh, he knows that he's probably worthy of the beating that they are giving him because he's such a sinful soul. Obviously not the truth. Frequently pious people, they look upon themselves as very sinful, but they're actually the most pious people around. You understand? Uh, so they were beating him, and uh, he was bleeding, and he said this to them. So, they, they, so he said to them, so I know I'm probably deserving, but I just want to know why are you are doing this to me? And then they told him that you act like you're the most pious person around, but you're sleeping with prostitutes, and you even produce a child. So he told them, go fetch the child that I might speak to it. So they brought the baby. And since he was a wali, you understand, Allah gave him the karama. He poked the baby in the stomach and then and asked about the baby, who is your daddy? And then the baby said, my daddy is the shepherd. You understand? And so it was exposed. But uh, the main issue that I want to speak about with regards to the story, the hadith is authentic. The Prophet himself is the one that tells us the story. The main point here is that there was a pious man living on the edges of a city. You understand? He wasn't saying anything bad to them. He wasn't doing anything bad to them. But just his presence, you understand, filled them with hatred and jealousy. And so they plotted his downfall. So the unfortunate reality is that there's many people out there like that. You need to be careful of the company that you keep. You understand? You need to make sure who you take as a friend. It is better to have few friends, but quality friends. You understand? Than to have many friends, but they're not, they're not worth anything. They're not, they're not worth anything. You understand? There are the people that want from you, 
but tomorrow if you are in a difficulty they will not assist you you understand so they're not truly your friend they're the friend of the money in your pocket they're the friend of your fame they're the friend of your beauty and handsomeness you understand they, they're not your friend when you lose those things you will lose them uh, also so Allah curses the one who turns a wife against her husband or a husband against his wife so good marriage you have a good marriage where husband is happy with his wife, wife is happy with her husband, but a third party comes. And the third party acts like the devil. The third party engages in waswasa, in whispering. And then using that whispering, they're able to alter reality. So this is the thing that I've mentioned before, that uh, none of us sees reality 100% the way that it is. It is only Allah. Allah is the only person that sees reality 100% the way that it is. We see reality via interpretation. We always sit with an interpretation of reality and not fully reality. Uh, our weaknesses, our fears, our desires, who we are making contact with, and the, 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 the narrative that they put in our mind, you understand? These are all things that changes the way we look at reality. So you could actually be a person that is married to one of the most pious women on the planet, and you wouldn't know it because of the narrative, the inner dialogue. You understand? You could be married to one of the most pious men, one of the most learned men on earth, and you wouldn't know it. You understand? Because somebody, some devil amongst the humans, they are whispering into your ear. And that's to me significant that Allah technically starts his Quran with A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. Because we are told in the Quran, that whenever you recite the Quran, first read A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. So the Quran begins with A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem and it ends on the note, Min al Jinnati wa Nas. And one of the interpretations of that is Min al Jinnati wa Nas is the devil's from, from, from amongst the jinn and the devils from amongst men. So Quran technically starts with, Oh Allah, I seek refuge by you against the accursed Satan. And then it ends on the words, the devils amongst the jinn and the devils amongst humans, amongst men. You understand? So there's devils out there. And these devils, they aim at uh, causing everybody else to be as unhappy as they are. You understand? So the happiness that Allah has given you, the barakah that Allah has given you, you need to protect it from, from these sinister, from these sinister uh, people and sinister minds, you understand? And uh, Allah knows best. And of course, enmity between a parent and his or a child also, you understand? There's no problem with this. There's also how sihr enters your, your life. In Urdu, they call it jadu. You understand? There's how sihr enters your, your, your house also in your life. When you allow people into your house, you don't really know who they are. You understand? And uh, then they do things. They, 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 they plant things in your house. You understand? And so forth. They come with their, with their evil jinn. You understand? Whatever it is that they evil being that they are busy with. You understand? And they bring that being into your house. You understand? Your house must be uh, a safe haven. Your house must invite pious souls that will bring baraka and piety into your house. It will bring uh, the love of Allah. It will bring the nur of Allah's message and of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, into your house. You understand? But the people of darkness, the people that will, that will, that will, that will, that will drain you of, your, of your vitality, whether it's a physical vitality or even a spiritual vitality, where the end of that you are weakened, you understand? Those people, you must not allow in your house. You it's also how things get stolen in your house. You understand? You allow willingly into your house, and uh, sometimes they cannot control themselves. They see things that are valuable. They just take it. You understand? And it is how our morals are corrupted also, because we're interacting with uh, corrupt individuals. So that corruption, it, it, it rubs off on us. 
frequently in ways that we, we, we are not even aware of. You understand? Day of Qiyamah, uh, we get a big shock and uh, Allah knows best. So these people, whether they're neighbors or not, we shouldn't uh, allow them in. Uh, if you see the, the neighbor coming and it's, it's a person that you know is a problematic person, then maybe you should exit your house and speak to them outside in the street or outside uh, on the lawn. And I said, just recently somebody told me in Newfields that a neighbor came to visit and the neighbor walked through the whole house and they had to look at the yard. And then afterwards, the neighbor phoned the council, you understand, for what the neighbor considered to be illegal buildings uh, on the property. And I said, so the person came with the face of an angel, you understand, but the person had the niyat of a devil, you understand, and uh, Allah knows best. It doesn't matter also whether, whether it's men or, or women. So obviously, if, you, if you're a woman alone in the house, you mustn't allow your male neighbor in. Obviously, if you're a male alone in the house, you mustn't allow your, your female neighbor in. You understand? But uh, the, 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 the main issue is not gender. You understand? The main issue is the corruption uh, that can come uh, with them. And uh, Allah knows best. Some people, because they, they, they're too, too embarrassed to say no, you understand? And any person they see at the door, they just let that person in. You understand? Even though they, they, they know that this person is a corrupt individual, you understand? This person is just going to want to the, engage in haram conversations and change the entire mood in the house. You understand? So as I said before, we need to learn to be firm yet gentle. Not nobody's telling you to be rude. You understand? But uh, you must only allow people in your house that it will be a, of a benefit to you. You understand? Uh, to allow them uh, into your house. And just as men have responsibility over here, our, our women folk also have responsibility. And one of the reasons for that is historically and traditionally, uh, women have been more at home than the men. You understand? So most time if people are visiting, they're more visiting uh, the women folk of the house and uh, Allah's best. So there's a lengthy hadith. I'm giving you a portion. Uh, the Prophet asked the Sahaba, which day is most sacred? Which day is most sacred? Which day is most sacred? And then they say the greatest day of Hajj. So that is known as Yawmul Hajj al-Akbar. Yawmul Hajj al-Akbar. So Yawmul Hajj al-Akbar is the 10th of Dhul-Hijjah, also known as Yawmul Nahar or Eid al-Adha. So when you go for Hajj, it's, it's first the 8th of Dhul-Hijjah, Yawmul Tarwiyah. Then it's the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah, Yawmul Arafah. Then it's the 10th of Dhul-Hijjah, Yawmul Nahar. This is followed by Yawmul Tashrik. So the 10th of Dhul-Hijjah, Yawmul Nahar, that is known as Yawmul Hajj al-Akbar, the greatest day of Hajj. And the reason for that is in the 24 hours, uh, it involves the major actions of Hajj, right? The night before, and uh, the Islamic day, it's night comes before it's day. The night before, you just left Arafah. So there's a bit of Arafah. And then you went to Muzdalifah. You understand? And then the next morning or after half the night has passed, you went to Mina, you stoned Jamar Aqaba. You understand? Uh, you performed Tawaful Ifadah. What it's sa'i, uh, you slaughtered, whether you did it directly or you had somebody do it on your behalf. And uh, after that, also, you shaved your head and you released yourself uh, from Ihram. So, this is the day of Hajj where the, where the, where the bulk of the activities uh, occur on this day and the night that precedes. And that's why there's a special name, Yawm al Hajj al Akbar, the day of, of, of the great Hajj. And then the Prophet said on the Friday khutbah on the day, he said, your rights over your woman are that they should not allow anyone to sit on your beds whom you dislike or allow anyone into your homes whom you dislike. 
You understand? And just uh, one example of that is to allow men into the house that are not relatives. You understand? And if relatives, they are not mahram. You understand? So to allow people into your house when your husband is not there, and it is especially if it's a male and that person uh, is not a mahram to you, that person is ajnabi, it is a person that is not uh, unmarriageable kin, it is a person that you are allowed to marry. So it's actually normally natural to experience desire for them and for them to experience desire for you. You understand? So with those people, we need to make sure that our interaction be careful with it and we never allow khalwa, we never allow privacy. The Prophet of Allah says that if a man and a woman are alone, they are not relatives of one another, not mahram, then shaitan is number three. So what they mean by that shaitan is number three is that shaitan will put ideas in their mind. You understand? Shaitan will put ideas in their mind and uh, sexual feelings will develop, and it is a thing that will lead uh, to more serious things, and uh, Allah is best. Right? So whether you're the wife or whether you're the husband, uh, when your spouse it tells you, don't let certain people into the house, you understand, because these people are not good people, you understand, uh, it is just going to affect us uh, negatively, you understand, and we should listen to one another. You understand, husband, must not become arrogant and, uh, and uh, what do you call this, uh, filled with pride, you understand? If your wife gives you good nasiha, listen. And the other way around also, you understand? Uh, sometimes in today's time, uh, the women folk actually bristle more than even the men. You understand? Neither should be bristling. If you are receiving good and kind nasiha, advice at the hands of your spouse, delivered in the best of ways, in the most maturest of ways, with respect, you understand? And we should listen. If it is a scenario that we, we don't agree, you understand? It is to be understood. You understand? If we don't agree, we don't always agree. You understand? But understand that your wife has your best interest at heart. Understand that your husband has your best interest at heart. So yeah, we need to be clever. You understand? And we need to be firm in our iman. You understand? And we, we mustn't allow others to put things in our mind. Uh, like in a marriage class, uh, I tell people that uh, marriage is a few sins. And when I mean the by sins, uh, what I mean the by is not that, that, that which is haram, but I mean the by things that eat at the marriage and destroy it. And so one of the sins of marriage is the sin of comparison. You understand? Like if you're a male, never compare your wife to your brother's wife. And if you are a female, never compare your husband to your sister's husband. You understand? When you engage in a sin of comparison, it will, it will, it will eat at your enjoyment of your marriage. The honesty of your sister's husband is that you don't know who he is. You don't know who he is. Your sister is hiding a secret. You understand? And you're going to be surprised 10 years from now, 15 years from now, your sister is going to say she doesn't want to be in this marriage any longer, and then you will find out who your brother-in-law really is. But at this moment in time, they look like the perfect couple. And he looks like the perfect man. He's always taking her on holidays. He's always going for Hajj and Umrah. He's always buying her this and he's buying her that. And you're going to be shocked one day when we actually hear how we treat your sister behind a closed door. You understand? And then you're going to discover how good a husband you really got. You're going to discover how good a wife uh, you really got. Right? So, obviously, I'm not saying that's the truth. Eh? Inshallah, I make dua that your sister is married to the best of men, that your, that your brother is married to, to the best of women. You understand? But I'm just making a type of an example. You understand? And I'm saying it in a certain way so that it can be more uh, impactful and uh, Allah best. So don't allow people to put comparisons in your mind and uh, then you demand from your husband what he cannot afford. 
and you demand from your wife that which is unrealistic. And uh, Allah knows best. Right? And as I said before, as a husband reminds his wife, so a wife reminds her husband also. Yeah? Uh, deen is to have goodwill uh, for others. You understand? And if you're married to a person, you want them to go to Jannah. You understand? You want them to go to Jannah. If you don't want your husband or wife to go to Jannah, something is going wrong uh, in the marriage. You understand? So if you really love somebody, you want them to go to Jannah. You want but both of you, inshallah, that when you die and your hisab is taken, that both of you go immediately to Jannah and you don't go via uh, Jahannam and uh, Allah knows best. Yeah, we want to give some advice to, uh, to men also. That uh, yes, in Islam, the male is the provider. So since he's the provider, and what I mean, it's his duty to provide. You understand? Since it is his duty to provide his wife, you understand what nafaka, what spousal maintenance, what accommodation and furniture and all of these things, he must cater and must provide for basic needs. So as a result, he tends to be out of the house a little bit more than his wife. You understand? But still, he must try his best to be at home as much as he can. He is the wali of this house. He is the guardian of this house. And when he is present at home, it's easier to keep things under control. You understand? Sometimes the children can drive mommy crazy. You understand? But daddy can just say one or two firm words, and then the children, uh, they come in line. You understand? Just the presence of daddy sometimes calms people down. You understand? So if his home also is, is able to supervise the tarbiyah of his family, his children, and to put things right uh, by watching over them and by following up uh, whatever people it is the duty to do, following up uh, that these things are done. You understand? It can't all, all be the duty of mummy. You understand? Mummies are overworked uh, in today's time, especially now in the age where, where women have entered uh, the workplace as well. You understand? The result of that is total exhaustion. Because generally, uh, after the ladies come home from work, they still have to work at home also. You understand? Uh, statistical evidence indicates right around the world that women are still doing more uh, at the home uh, than men, even ladies that work. So the outcome of that is that uh, the modern woman, uh, she's totally exhausted. She's at her what's end. You understand? So if daddy can come in and assist a little bit here and there, it will bring welcome relief, inshallah. And the division of labor uh, will be fairer uh, as well. And people will be happier, uh, inshallah. So for some people, unfortunately, the default is to always be outside of the home. And uh, only if they can't find any place to go, uh, then they want to come home. In Islam, the default is that we are home. And only when we have a need outside of the house. Even if that need is a bit of relaxation. You understand? If we have a need outside of the house, uh, only then. Uh, do we exit the house, right? So this method where the default is to be outside, it is wrong, you understand? And uh, even if you're a male, you understand, you've got a little bit more justification to be outside, but uh, do what you need to do and return to your family and uh, Allah's best. So if a man is constantly going out for purposes of worship, then still he must strike a balance, you understand? It's time to fulfill your duty towards Allah, it's time to fulfill your duty uh, towards your wife. It's time to fulfill your duty towards your children. You understand? And uh, other people, and it's time to fulfill your duty towards your own body also and your own mind. And uh, Allah's best. This is and of the best of men. But he's leaving the house for worship and for work. You understand? But if he's leaving the house for sin or just waste of time activities, 
you understand, or is overly occupied with matters of the dunya, to work to earn a, rizik, a basic rizik. MashaAllah, Allah will reward you. That is admirable. But to become a workaholic, you understand, and to become materialistic, and there's no consideration for akhirah, and there's no consideration for, for, for your children and for, and for your spouse, you understand, that those things are problematic. Reduce work only to that which is needed, and maybe a little bit extra, you understand? But uh, we didn't come to the dunya to work. We didn't come to the dunya just to make money. You understand? We came to the dunya to earn our akhirah. There are certain financial realities that we cannot avoid. You understand? There are certain experiences of the home that we cannot avoid. But uh, don't try to build a castle here. Build a castle in the year after. A pious alim was asked, why is it that people fear to die? And he decided to say that if you live in a palace in this world, and in the year after, what is waiting for you is a shack, then obviously you don't want to die. But if the place that you have over here is limited, but you're going to go to Jannah, and uh, it's unlimited, you understand a goodness, then obviously there's a point where you're going to look forward actually to die. Or at the very least, you, you won't mind dying, you'll, you'll embrace it, you'll accept it. It's Qadr and Qadr. You understand, and I submit to, the, I submit to, to, to Allah's uh, divine predestination. And uh, Allah knows this. So reduce the work only to what is uh, necessary. Reduce business uh, commitments to what is reasonable. And idle meetings, you understand, put an end to it. Yeah, and there, a bit of a business lunch to build a relationship uh, with a client, uh, perhaps, especially with a client that is been in big business, it makes sense. You understand? But lunch after lunch, everybody. You understand every Tom, Dick, and Harry. You understand what members of the opposite gender that you're working with also. You understand it's just going to lead either to outright haram or at the very least uh, to questionable things. You understand things that your husband is not going to understand and your wife is not going to understand. Uh, it's a trustworthy uh, interactions. And how evil are the people who neglect the families and frequent nightclubs in the like? Allahu Akbar. I read in the Sunday Times once that there was a couple in China that they had a virtual pet that they were looking after or a virtual baby. Uh, the term for it, I remember, I don't know which language it is, but it was Tamagotchi. So they had a virtual pet that they had to feed, you understand, and they had to entertain on some type of, a, what do you call it now, console, a hand console. So they were so busy looking after their virtual child, a Tamagotchi, that their own child died of malnutrition. Their own child died of malnutrition. Can you imagine that? Saying, looking after a program and allowing your own blood, a loving creature, a human, to die of malnutrition. And Allah knows best. So there's husbands and wives, instead of being with the family, they're in nightclubs, drinking khamar, you understand, using drugs, uh, gallivanting and cajoling with members of the opposite gender, you understand, and Allah knows best, their families are suffering. Their husbands, unfortunately, the moment they get their wages, they go to Grand West, a gambling place, and then they gamble all the money of the month out. You understand, now the wife doesn't know how she's going to pay the rent, how she's going to pay the rates and taxes, there isn't money for electricity, the lights are going to be switched off, there's nothing for the children to eat. Because our, our husband... Uh, is a gambling, uh, is a gambling addiction, addiction, you understand, and uh, is always at a gambling place. Uh, what's wrong, Shaman? 
Assalamu alaikum Maulana. Maaf, I just like to know Maulana now there's 10 more minutes left uh, for the session this evening. And we do have two questions that have come through. Uh, okay, no problem. Did you send it to my phone? I sent it to Maulana's phone, yes. Okay, Jazakumullah khairan. Let me just have a look at it. Okay, it didn't actually come through. Let me see. Now, it didn't come through, Shamal. Are you able to mention it? Shamil? Assalamu alaikum, Marana. Okay, I, 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 I did. Okay, the question, I uh, sent it in the group. Assalamu uh, alaikum, regarding not letting corrupt people into your home, what is your, your family or your parents? Okay, I think I think I got something now. Right, so as you said, regarding not letting corrupt people into your home, what if they are family uh, or your parents? So obviously, if you're dealing with family or parents, things are a little bit uh, more sensitive, and uh, it might be a scenario that uh, you're limited uh, in, in some ways. But in whatever way you are not limited, and whatever way that you are able to practice uh, the nasiha that is given to you, you understand, and, and minimize any potential harm to your family. Uh, that is how you're going to have to uh, do, do it. So it's mentioned in Hadith, Saddidu Qaribu, that when you are commanded by Allah and His Rasul to do something, then do exactly what they tell you to do, or do as close to it as you possibly can. You understand? So if some, some things are beyond your control, you understand it is beyond your control, but uh, uh, there are things that always will be in your control, where you will be able uh, to minimize and uh, Allah knows best. And unfortunately, with that question, there's lots of other details. It's not one of those issues that I can just answer in a minute or two. You understand? Uh, it's a bit of a subject that, that really requires fleshing out uh, all the potential issues and uh, Alana's best. Like uh, in the in the fiqh, it is mentioned, for example, that uh, if the husband discovers that his wife's family, including parents, you understand, are turning her against him and he is fulfilling his duties towards his wife. Then he has the right to bar her family, including her parents, from coming to the house. You understand? However, the jurors mention uh, over there that this is a conclusion that husbands must not be quick to reach uh, to. You understand? While at the same time, uh, it is a thing that is best avoided. You understand? If it is any other way to solve the problem, uh, that would be a better thing to do, and uh, Allah knows best. Then also, there's another one here. I think the, uh, this one was sent to me before, but I think because we didn't have class last week, I wasn't able to, to answer it. So my husband told me that if I choose to take the COVID vaccine, he will, he will respect me less. If, uh, if, if the vaccine causes me serious complications, he might hate me and can't guarantee that things will remain happy between us. He also mentioned that another couple got divorced due to arguments about the vaccine. My home, which is usually my place of peace and tranquility, is now a place of resentment, silence, and sadness. How does Molina suggest we resolve this to get back to the tranquility in our home? So yeah, I've got a simple question to ask you. And that simple question i got to ask you is, do the ulama differ on this matter of vaccination, yes or no? Do the ulama differ? And the answer is yes, the ulama differ. Right? That's the first issue. The second issue is, what if husband is Shafi and wife is Hanafi? You understand? Or the other way around. And then the husband says to the wife, that if you act on your mother, I will hate you. I will hate you. 
You understand? And if it has any negative consequence in acting on your mother, you understand? I don't know what I will do. I might, I might want to divorce you. You understand? So is that a reasonable thing for a husband to say? On an issue where ulama differ? You understand? Is that a reasonable thing uh, to say? So the answer is, is that it isn't. So this is something I need you to know. There are things in deen that are clear-cut. Like, is there a God? The obvious answer is yes. How many is the God? The obvious answer is that is one. Who did the God send to us so that we can be on hidayah, on guidance? Many prophets, the last of which is Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So those things are definitive, right? But beyond that, the bulk of things are only probabilistic. You understand? And if it is areas where ulama have differed, then people must not find reason to hate and people must not find reason uh, to dislike. So thus over here, unfortunately, I believe it to be very unfair of the husband. The wife has all the right in the world to make up her own mind uh, with regard to uh, vaccination. You understand? And uh, to be honest with you, the bulk of the medical professionals are advising with vaccination. So are you able to quote an expert that said that uh, COVID vaccination might cause you harm? For any one expert that you are able to quote, I'm probably able to quote a thousand for anyone that you are able to quote. You understand? So uh, uh, if we go that route, you will actually see that the vast majority of experts uh, are on the opposite side. You understand uh, when it comes to these things. So why a husband should take such an issue with his wife who wants to protect her health, actually? You understand? Wants to protect her health. What if the wife said to him that uh, if you don't take the vaccine and you get sick, and then I will, I will, I will, I will get a fasakh by NGC because you were stupid. You understand? The vast majority of medical experts said you must take a vaccine and you didn't take a vaccine. So I would be saying to her that that is not fair to your husband. You understand? Your, your husband got the right to make up his mind on this issue. He's got the right to do his research and reach his conclusions. So this is one of those cases where there needs to be unity in diversity. You understand? Shafi's husband must respect his Hanafi wife. You understand? And the other way around. Hanafi wife must respect a Shafi uh, husband. You understand? So this is exactly the same as the madhabs. You understand? And uh, the madhabs, uh, in, in, in the bulk of the cases, it did not lead to this type of disputes that we are, that we are suffering with uh, now. You understand? Somehow, uh, we have the tendency to only respect the ulama of the past that we differ with. You know, but the ulama of our times that we differ with, we make them out to be the worst of fusak, the worst of, of, of criminals, people that are on the verge of kufr, people that are, that are busy with bid'ah and heresy, and it is a lie. It is a lie. You understand? Frequently, those ulama are as pious as you, if not more pious. They are as learned as you, if not more learned. You understand? How we approach these masail, the masail of ijtihad, is that whatever conclusion we reach, we say, we are probably right and you are probably wrong. With the possibility that we are wrong and you are right. You understand? That is the worst that we can say in these masail. You understand? That are, that are not based on definitive evidence. It is based upon uh, probabilistic evidence and uh, Allah knows best. Whether vaccines benefit or not, only Allah truly knows that. You understand? So what do we do? We listen to experts that have won our trust. You understand? So the people who are pro-vaccination, they've got lots of proof to quote. 
and the people that had anti-vaccination, uh, I assume of COVID now, you understand, they've also got lots of proof to court. You understand, let us accept uh, the opinions uh, of the other. And certainly uh, a husband doesn't have the right to demand from his wife to avoid a medical procedure that she believes is a thing that inshallah will save her life. So at the end of the day, it is only Allah that gives life and it is only Allah that gives death. But if somebody points a gun at you and they're about to shoot, the sensible thing is to dodge. You understand? The sensible thing is to dodge. That's what Allah wants from you also. True tawakkul is not playing your trust in reliance and Allah and doing nothing. If that was the truth, then you shouldn't go to work tomorrow. You understand? You should never go to work. Just say, stay at home and recite the dhikr. Allah will provide. Allah will provide. Allah will provide. That is not what Allah wants from you. Allah wants you to throw your line in the sea. You understand? To do what you need to do to earn a rizik in a halal way. But then after that, place your trust in Allah. So the same thing with regards to your health. Whatever is known in your time or known to the experts that you follow based upon their research, you will act in accordance. You will do whatever is in your ability. And beyond that, you will place your trust in Allah. So whether we take a vaccine, whether we social distance or not, both sides, after they do what they, what they believe to be right, both sides will place their trust in Allah. And the honest reality is that lives have been lost. Uh, from people on, on, on both sides. But I obviously have my opinion as to what is the better uh, option. But uh, between husband and wife, this is not the right. This is not proper. Uh, a husband has got the right to make up his mind and a wife has the right to make up her mind. And uh, Allah knows best. Talaq must not be used as a leverage, as a type of a crowbar, that whenever you disagree with your husband or your wife, then you want to threaten them with the gun or the crowbar that is known as uh, talaq. As I said before, the problem is not the problem. It is how we respond to the problem uh, that is the problem. And uh, Allah knows best. Is that it, Shaman? That's it for this evening, Maulana. Shukran very much. Uh, okay, I, just want, I just wanted to mention that <clears throat> uh, due to us skipping the class last week, uh, we will be extending the class by another week, um, which will be next week, inshallah, because tonight should have been our final class. But we will be extending the class by one more week, inshallah. And also, uh, the next course, which is raising Muslim children, will be also uh, starting a week uh, later, inshallah, on the 11th of November uh, with that course, inshallah. Uh, shukran once again, Maulana, for a beautiful program this evening. And we pray everybody has benefited, inshallah. Barakallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.